0: And if there's a possibility for you to leverage a municipal network, if you have a mayor or someone, anyone who actually can understand that, then you play that ace all day because that is an ace. But in the absence of your ace, your next highest card is whatever you have.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and I'm talking to someone who thinks that I'm pretty silly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> got Joshua Edmonds over here, the CEO of Digital C in Cleveland. Before we launch into today's show, I wanted to share a little bit about some interesting things that are coming up. One is a live stream on June 7th at 3 Eastern Time, our next building for Digital Equity live stream. This will be the fourth one. We've had a lot of good feedback on our others. It's a interesting mix of presentations and uh, trivia and and q a and you can find more at buildingfordigitalequity.com where you'll see information about that live stream on june 7th at three eastern time also there you'll see information about the building for digital equity podcast of which we have many episodes and more to come uh, these are shorter discussions about people doing that hard work And then for those of you who haven't heard about the Connect This show, we are going to be continuing to do those about every two weeks. And you can find more at connectthisshow.com. That is a hour-long video show, usually a little bit longer than that, often featuring Travis Carter from USI Fiber in Minneapolis, Kim McKinley from Utopia Fiber, and Doug Dawson, the consultant extraordinaire. So if you haven't caught any of those, uh, they're best on video. You can watch them on YouTube. Uh, you can find that and additional shows from ILSR, uh, the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, where I work at ILSR.org slash podcasts. Welcome. Thank
0: you. Uh, I don't have nearly as much of an an animated intro that you do. Uh. However, uh, very impressed with it. And yep, CEO of Digital C. We're a nonprofit technology social enterprise. We're WISP. On one hand, we offer uh, competitive broadband services at $18 a month. On the other hand, we run the Midtown Tech Hive, which is a co-working and collaboration space.
1: And you're not a regular listener of this show. Because no. then you would know that that's the intro. Just give yourself away. <laughs> well, I mean, still, I know. I, but yeah, but I don't see it live. No, that's all right. Sean doesn't listen to it either.
0: <laughs> Admittedly, though, like you did it live right, in, right next to me. And yeah. I'm like, oh, man, that's <laughs> it was just animated. I do
1: most of it just to impress Travis Carter because his wife was annoyed by it. So we started hamming <laughs> it up and that's how we got here. So we also have uh, listening in Sean Gonzalez, my colleague here, who may or may not shout in a question might might um uh podcast bomb this episode like I've got you with Dwight. Um so anyway, Digital C, uh let's talk about the, the origin story, like the the quick version of the origin story. Um you uh you you came into existence for me at Net Inclusion in Cleveland. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um uh. that was before you were the rock star on the circuit. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: yeah, I was At that point, I was just maybe connecting amps uh, to, to use a rock star extended metaphor. So actually, uh, I was in charge of planning that inclusion in Cleveland. Uh, so that was when I was working for the Cleveland Foundation at the time. However, prior to that, I was working at the Cuyahoga Metropolitan Housing Authority. So CMHA, that's the local housing authority in Cleveland and throughout the county. And that was my first taste of interacting with Digital C then because we had actually put up a sickly radio. On one of the public housing properties, and that was my first introduction of like a WISP or an alternative broadband provider servicing residents in public housing. So it goes from that to then the Cleveland Foundation, where where Digital C was a grantee of mine, and then off to Detroit. Now back to Digital C, so it's a bit of a full circle moment for me. Uh, And it's funny they've been in my orbit ever since I started doing digital equity work.
1: So your heart's in Cleveland.
0: My heart, my family. <laughs> um, a, a, a lot of things. Now I love Detroit, like, and that's that's one thing I will not depart. No, I love Detroit.
1: You were the digital equity director there,
0: correct? So I spent the last four years in Detroit, uh, and left uh, Detroit in November. However, the family is is back home in Cleveland, uh, and I saw you know my brother. He just got married. Oh no, he just had a kid. I'm sorry. Um, my sister has kids. Like, I'm seeing my family. Like, my mom works in downtown Cleveland. I'm like, okay. At this point, family is calling. And I'm proud to say that actually my sister is one of our customers for Digital C. Now, admittedly, like most families, she didn't know what I did. And so when I said, (laughs) hey, I do this, she had no clue. And uh, it wasn't until the technician had already installed the service that she said, wait, Digital C, Digital C, Digital C. (laughs) Is your CEO Joshua? And the guy's like, yeah. She's like, that's my baby brother. He's like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like,
1: yep, that's how families work. He thinks of you as being this like, I mean, like for people that don't know, you're you're muscularly built. You were a jock. (laughs) That's that's exactly right. Like he's just like, wait, jock? She's like,
0: oh no, that's that's my baby brother. Are you kidding
1: me? I forget now. We talked about this. You did
0: track, right? Yeah, and then I didn't know that I could put on muscle by lifting weights.
1: (laughs) I didn't know that either. It took me a long time. Yeah, yeah. I always thought I was gonna be a scrawny guy. Yeah. <laughs> so you're looking at me like you're a scrawny guy. But but I'm I'm less scrawny than I used to be.
0: Ah. Yeah. No, it was. it was. What was a, your
1: event? What was your event?
0: I, I did mid-distance. Okay. So I, 800. I would jump up to the mile.
1: Because um, there's a woman here, Ebony, from Nextlink. Hmm. She did the 800. She ran the 800 for the University of Miami. Oh. She's
0: serious. She might have been faster than me. <laughs> she
1: might have been. No, she wasn't, but she was probably close. <laughs> she, we did an interview with her for the uh, for the other podcast, the um, Building for Digital Equity show, mm. uh, and that's actually not yet published. It's coming out soon. So, um, so anyway, Detroit. Did you help to create Connect three one three?
0: Correct. So where that actually came from? When I first got to Detroit, uh, and I kind of touched on it uh, this morning's keynote of just like, hey, twenty nineteen. That's when I arrived, January twenty nineteen to be specific. And at the time, there wasn't really a citywide coalition. Uh, That was the first time the city even ventured into doing something like that. So what does a director of digital inclusion do when you have no staff, you have no budget, and no recognition? Because no one knew who I was. Mm -hmm. What you do is you create what I call the stone soup model. And that's more so a uh, microcosm to a larger parable that was told – but essentially, what I was doing is I was building community because I had to, there wasn't a choice. Mm-hmm. Everyone in my mind and and people around me, Beth Niblock, she was our uh, CIO at the time. She was snapping her fingers at me all the time, saying, "Wins, wins, we need wins, we need wins." And I'm like, "Beth, I hear you. I need something." So mm-hmm. I created uh, the first iteration, which was three and three connect. So if you guys ever watch Iron Man, that was like the first Iron Man suit when he was still in that like right. kind of janky in and whatever. The cave. <laughs> exactly. That was three one three connect, and then. After 313 Connect, I got feedback from someone who did marketing for the city who said, that sounds like a phone number. And so then we switched it around and we created Connect 313. So originally it started in the city, but then just being able to – I wouldn't say sell because I don't want to say that's what I did, but – building community, building collaboration all around a central vision and an ideology around community that could live under a generic enough umbrella that no one would have any issues, but specific enough that you know what I was talking about. And that's where Connect 313 was created.
1: Awesome. All right. So that's how Connect 313 comes into place. Connect 313, moving strong, independent now. And, uh, and I just met some of those folks at a, at a boot camp. It was it was terrific. A lot of young folks, um, not only, I mean, there's certainly, there's, uh, there's other people there who, um, I mean, hilariously were looked upon as, uh, as uh, mother figures in some cases. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I can tell there's a little bit of, uh, of enjoyment, uh, among people, um, in the different areas, working together, learning from each other, bringing different skills to how they're organizing. That's right. Detroit ends up being the best city on the ACP with almost half of all eligible people enrolled at this point. It looks we love
0: like it. We love it. I, I am so impressed. I, I remember when we were first trying to do EBB and we launched an EBB 313 campaign because we were so afraid of the federal funding being clawed back because we didn't use the subsidy. So like there was this sense of emergency at the onset. Yes, we were looking at residents, uh, current situations, but we also knew that this funding had future weights attached to it. So if we hit it as hard as we could, if we were so organized, if we could have a call center, if we had messaging and branding, we created partner toolkits. We worked with ARP on faith-based campaigns. I mean, we did everything that we could. And when it transitioned to ACP, we had a big enough lead, and I mean, yeah, we were talking about track, but like this is the mentality was a race. Mm-hmm. I told people that I wanted us to be the best city in the country when it came to enrollments. I wanted us to blow everyone out the water. Uh, that was the goal. And yes, yes, it was about the resident. But I'll be honest, this is what happens when you're putting your whole entire mentality into something. Like when you you're going to use your competitive edge, and wow, like we're competing cities now. Now I like. Cleveland, you know,
1: Cleveland has a really high ACP enrollment rate, Second too. Second in the nation. It's but can like, tell. Yeah.
0: Detroit and Cleveland, I'm like, oh, man,
1: now I'm betting on two horses here. <laughs> yeah. Well, in Detroit went, I mean, Cleveland went from being one of the lower ones to That's being right. one of the better ones. That's right. No, and that, that just brings to mind uh, Robin Williams' line from Cadillac Man, which maybe one or two people that are listening to this will catch the reference to. But in response to a hilarious question, he says, it's not easy. Never easy. Mm. <laughs> like, it's hard work. Right? It like, you didn't stumble into, into doing that.
0: No, no, no. There was a, I would refer to it as a relentless preparation. Uh, I think that sometimes I come up for air and it just seems like, oh, casual, laughy, happy, whatever. But I'm like, no, 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 no. In that moment, though, very serious. Especially because in Detroit, you have a lot of people, and Cleveland too, a lot of people just felt let down. Let down by a number of things. And so I knew we were also working against that skepticism. That we had to do something that was pervasive enough to get the attention, but not provocative enough to say, if I'm a mayor, I don't want any parts of this. So mm-hmm. we always told that line, and that was a um, a very nuanced balancing act. I'm thankful to be able to do that, but I think that sometimes either people are too conservative and how they treat mayors, are way too aggressive. Finding that special middle was something that we had to do all the time, but when we hit that balance, it allowed us to get everybody else aligned within the city, so... Mm-hmm.
1: You've moved from uh, a project where you were working on a really inspiring project around Hope Village, yeah. uh, bringing fiber out, owned by the city of Detroit, open right. access fiber. Um, and I just uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time rehashing that. I would like to mm-hmm. sort of compare that then to like working through a city process. Now you're part of a lean and mean nonprofit machine <laughs> <laughs> where, uh, you know, you have a, I would hope less red tape. Where's digital? What's the, what's the 90 seconds on what digital C is? Yeah,
0: so Digital C, Nonprofit Technology Social Enterprise, Uh, we offer a fixed wireless solution. We're actually looking at wireline solutions too, but again, internet at $18 a month. And currently, we are uh, having plans to expand to provide citywide coverage as well as even going to another neighboring city, so we'll be a regional internet provider. Again, all built on an affordability, but leveraging next-gen wireless technology to do it.
1: And it was created with kind of a unique situation because a lot of nonprofits don't start with a bank that digital C did, but digital C got a, a big infusion of cash. Correct at its creation from the privatization of one community. That's right. The big nonprofit northeastern Ohio event.
0: Yep, yep. So there was there was uh, they essentially bought out all of our shares, and the agreement that we have now with Everstream, their commercial internet provider, they uh, fiber provider I should say. So we actually tap tap into their fiber, which then allows us to build a line of sight network throughout the city. Now we use unlicensed spectrum to deliver our services. Now that we've won the city's RFP, uh, that is allowing us to provide citywide coverage uh, at 100 over 100. And so we've been looking at a bevy of vendors that can guarantee, even going through uh, foliage, that we have some type of refractory technology that allows us to guarantee speeds minimum of 100-100 through fixed wireless. It's still at $18 a month. So um, it's wild. for us, there is a strong emphasis on enterprise and growing this social enterprise historically, Digital C has been much more of a non-profit. I would even argue we've been more charitable. But moving forward with this ARPA funding, we know that we want this this money to sustain because there will be a need for the next you know, 5, 10, 15 years for an affordable broadband provider. And we want to make sure that we're sustainable in that.
1: And $18 a month uh, as a nonprofit, you are seeking to be financially sustainable at that rate.
0: Correct, so we will offer blended solutions so or blended services, I should say, so eighteen dollars is our uh, lowest tier. We will offer a twenty nine dollar tier as well as a forty nine dollar tier and so our thinking is if we're able to provide competitive a competitive service, we are going to be able to get some of these legacy customers from some of these other internet providers who want to invest in a provider that is headquartered in the city of Cleveland. And that is Mm mission-driven. And so there are other things that we are looking at bringing to the table, but sustainability is definitely top of mind for us. Uh, It'd be great if we got other funding from elsewhere, but our mind is let's operate as if there is no other funding, that the funding that we're getting from this RFP is all that's ever going to come, and we need to make sure we knock this out the park.
1: You had to navigate an RFP through the city of Detroit. That's right. Working through that process. Now as you're looking to make investments in the technology for Digital C., is that – is it more nimble? Like, do you feel like you have – like, what, what is the pro and con of the different approaches? So,
0: I – in Detroit, with Connector and 3 in the city, I think it's, it's worth exploring that first. So, Connect 3 and 3 allowed us to effectively get things done faster. If our partners could philanthropically support some of our priorities that we had within the city – then there was no red tape we had to go through. Mm -hmm. So in that case, it almost looked like a football player who knows ballet. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of the offensive and defensive linemen do. They do. Yeah, they got to get that footwork down. And so that's that's what it felt like at times. Then there were other times where we were um, in the city side, the king seat, where from a chess standpoint, you only have one move on each side. You really couldn't move anywhere. And I think that's the part where it did feel very limiting at times. So freeing via Connector in 3, limiting within the city, but yet it was the most weighted, powerful actor in the ecosystem.
1: Right. I mean, the city has tens of millions of dollars available to help make this happen.
0: Well, even – but let's say even if they didn't. Let's say if ARPA funding was even there, it's the social and political capital. Mm-hmm. And mobilizing that accordingly allowed us to get this other part too. And so I think like those are the things where very, very powerful if used correctly on the digital sea front. It's a completely different pace. Uh, you know we my very first day uh, November 1st of last year, I actually had to go in front of the city for the review committee for the RFP. So I went from Detroit government October 31st was my last day. November 1st is my first day at the city <laughs> and I was at the or at Digital city I was at the city of Cleveland. Uh, actually next week we're going to be in front of city council again. We're gonna be talking to them about the RFP. So I'm actually getting much more engaged still with with city politics in a way where I now know these ropes, but I still have to have an organization I have to run back to. And so like those are the things where I would just say it's different. I think it might be a little bit too early for me to see the differences because I still feel restricted no matter what, <laughs> no matter where I'm going. It still feels like you need to perform and this is the city and this is the mayor setting this priority, and you all need to do. So I, I, I see a difference, but it's a little bit too early to tell, like, how different they are.
1: What's more intimidating and harder to do? Uh, doing that first day in front of a city council, you're, you're, you just came into town, mm-hmm. uh, versus going in front of, which I know you had to do, the citizens in Hope Village and saying that you missed the the, the deadline, the schedule that you... Oh, gonna...
0: The city council one was hard. is harder. The citizens of Hope Village, that was easier. Only because... We were honest, like, and I honestly, while people might not want to hear it, they appreciate it. And see, there was something that I saw in Detroit. So I didn't live in like (laughs) really affluent areas when I was in Detroit uh, at all. And there I was taught a value because one of my neighbors kind of acclimated me and said, hey, look, I'm going to tell you how it is here. If you're cool, we're cool. So act accordingly. And so I said, okay. well, the cool thing to do is if I didn't do something right, let me get in front of you all and let me tell you why things Mm -hmm. didn't go the way that I wanted it to. Right. And it was met with respect. People kind of just nodded their head. They said, okay, all right. Well, thank you. Because so many times whenever someone stands up here and they're beating their chest what they're going to do and then something doesn't go right, they don't come back. Right. But you came back in front of us and you told us what it is and we respect that. So I earned their respect and I'm thankful for that. The council one. Only reason why, I, actually, that one's not too hard either. I was just more so saying that's harder because I if I had to rank them, but the council one's not too hard either because it's understanding where people are coming from. You have a lot of council members who understand the historic opportunity that's in front of them, and they want to use this ARPA funding to improve their neighborhoods, their wards, their districts. So the beauty of it is, as we go in front of there, my job is to give them the certainty that they need so that they that way they can tell their residents what's coming. So all I'm looking at that part, I'm the role of the empower there. I want to empower my council members to be able to think in a way where they can sleep at night knowing that they made the right decision by backing digital c, so both in both cases they're easier i guess <laughs> right
1: so that's good and and I think that's good for people to hear i mean, I think a lot of times there is a sense that these things are harder than they actually are that's right, and i i have like you said, I have always found that when I am open with people and I admit like oh i don't actually know that thing, or you know mm-hmm. i don't there's a there's a group of people that they think that like it's a weakness not to know something, yeah, man, like in the world we're living in, there's so much stuff that's <laughs> right, that's right and and no nobody
0: knows everything I, and I, I again like though that's human nature and that's like acknowledgement of human nature, and I think like those are the things where I'll be honest, my team at the city they know I would index in this heavily, we have to understand human nature, we have to understand the way people think, and it's funny now that I'm running digital c as a wisp standpoint, we absolutely have to understand. We have to sell our services. We have to understand people who don't pull out their census, who don't vote, who somehow are going to book an appointment for Internet. Mm-hmm. That is a psyche thing that we have to understand. So the, the more we understand and act within the confines of human nature, the more successful we'll be. The more we distance ourselves, the more disingenuous we look. Mm-hmm.
1: So let me take you, tell you what I got from your presentation this morning. Uh, Joshua Edmonds, the man who said... We will not solve this with a coupon. We cannot solve this problem with a coupon um, that uh, the FCC rolled up on you in Detroit and intimidated you. They did. And you oh, no, talk no, about no. it differently now. They they, they, <laughs> hold they did not intimidate me.
0: I'll put it this way. They surprised me. They did surprise me. I said, okay, okay. And, yes, we cannot coupon our way to equity. That is true. I still believe in that. Uh, I do believe that the networks that are being built, need to take affordability actually put that at the center and not use that as an afterthought but i also understand timing too and i i know that we can't solve for one without solving for the other so it's like we can't yank out the affordable connectivity program and just say oh well there's no funding funding ran out well to me that's like so we were successful so we won so we showed that there was a need so it's like well if you show that there's a need then you re-up in it. If the Affordable Connectivity Program actually lasted for another three years, we failed. And I think that's that's the reality that we need to be looking at. It's like, okay, wait, you mean to tell me victory is now defeating us? That we legitimately did the right thing here, and now we're getting this pulled back from us? I don't believe that we should look at the Affordable Connectivity Program as the end-all, be-all. I believe that the networks need to be built smarter and much more intentional. But in the meantime, while those networks are still being design not even built at this point just design then i do think that it's only fair that we actually prioritize what's working right now and continue doing that and then use whatever rate at which we are seeing the enrollment use that to undergird the way that we're designing these networks i think that's the smarter approach
1: do you how replicable is digital c do you think mm. which is i mean which is to say that like I, I feel like right now there's a strain of thought which is more or less i mean a lot of people i think think all right, Charter, AT and T, and Comcast, like they're gonna solve a lot of the problem in the big cities. Yeah. I still think that's not the right solution. No, but I think people look at a the solution of building a new network and they're like, oh, that's just too hard. It's too expensive. Yeah. It can't happen. And Digital C has such a unique birth story that I don't like saying people. Well, look, look Cleveland did it, so everyone else can do it. Well, that's that's kind of a one off. Yeah, I agree. But like, what if we learned that like, what, what if someone came to you from Memphis or New Orleans and and was like was like, hey, what what can we learn from Digital C? What would you tell them? I would tell them
0: fixed wireless is a viable option, and it's not going anywhere. And this is coming from the guy who is Fiber, Fiber, Fiber. Fiber, Fiber. Fiber. But also, our network runs on Fiber, too. So, like, we need Fiber to run our network. Mm. And so, now, do I believe in municipal ownership? Oh, yes, I do. I absolutely do. Uh, But at the end of the day, I also believe in playing the cards that we have. And if there's a possibility for you to leverage a municipal network, if you have a mayor or someone – county exec, anyone who actually can understand that, then you play that ace all day because that is an ace. But in the absence of your ace, your next highest card is whatever you have. And so in our case for Digital C, well, if we already have fiber that's you know from a commercial provider that's willing to work with us, we can negotiate those terms accordingly. And then off of that, we can then provide a fixed wireless solution and then back in uh, a cost model that works for us. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that it's, it's replicable in the sense that There is not a a single city in this country, and I don't believe this, and maybe I'm just being naive here, but I don't think there's a single city in this country where we just can't do anything. It's like, no, 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 no. hundred percent. We can do something. Mm -hmm. And I do believe a fixed wireless network is something that should be considered much more than it is. Right now, NTIA, while they mean well, I think that the oversaturation of fiber, um, (laughs) I saw that one headline. America has too much fiber in their broadband diet and I'm like, man, that's that's
1: that's a beautiful headline. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I think there's a difference. I think you know, I I think if you're making a generational investment in rural areas, like I think it is smart to to go he- overboard on fiber.
0: I, so I don't disagree, but I think that the issue that I'm seeing though is when you swing the pendulum that far that way, mm-hmm. there are like let's not discard good because we're seeking perfection. And so at th- in this case Yes, I do believe that for these broader, bigger investments, even from a future focus standpoint, fiber all the way, all the way. But also understanding that there are some cases where if you can do mm-hmm. a fixed wireless solution, do that. And then over time, you can still build. I think that there's like this like rat race that's happening right now. It's like, guys, look, we're not going anywhere mm-hmm. like this. This issue is not going anywhere. Like we still need to be thinking creatively and putting all of our eggs in one basket right now. I'm like, no, we don't need to do that. We can understand that that is the basket all of us want to get to. I believe that a fiber optic open access network is the way to go. I think that's actually the supreme way to go, even more than what we're doing right now. But I also understand the scales that and the weight that's going to be needed to get us there. And mm-hmm. I just don't think that we're we're near there. And the only thing that people can point out right now are exceptions. And I'm like, no, those don't make the rule. Fixed wireless is a viable alternative at the very least, for a shorter term, that allows you to identify some of your broadband goals, allows you to get some fiber optic investment that then could then trickle in through a subscriber model. Then you can do additional build out, right. too.
1: Right. Getting something out there today that serves people's needs today is That's far right. better than a plan. That's
0: right. Like, go. Go. Yeah. I, yeah. I think this is the thing that I'm afraid of. In this moment, there are a lot of plans. There's money that we spend on planning. Millions of dollars on planning. And I'm like, guys, we have to go. This is our moment. And if we try and squander this moment because we're looking for the perfect deployment, perfect solution, I think we're going to miss this. And then by the time we actually get it out the oven, it's going to be like, oh, people already ate. We're, we're, we're kind of good.
1: Last quick question because I'm running out of time. I'm going to turn into a pumpkin here pretty soon. <laughs> um, uh, Ten years down the road, a lot of different factors could change in different directions. Do you think Digital C is three choices? Uh, mostly wireless, uh, strong mix. Mostly fiber in terms of the customers that you're serving. Strong mix.
0: Strong mix. Uh, there's, I, I know with other fiber optic build-outs, I actually have been looking at our MDUs and actually we've been developing internally a wireline strategy. So it's like we know and we are a blended technology company. Mm-hmm. When I say we're a fixed wireless company, it's just because we do index much more heavily on fixed wireless today. But at the end of the day, whether it's wireline, whether it's fiber, whatever it takes, whatever requires us to connect a household, that's what we're going to use. Mm-hmm.
2: Thank you so much, Joshua. Thank you. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadband bits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at community nets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast.